Hello and welcome to the Bowdoin Property Podcast. Expect to hear from property experts discussing their thoughts on today's real estate market and giving insight into what they hope for the future. Take a moment to turn off, wind down and enjoy the latest edition of the Bowdoin Property Podcast. Hello and welcome to Two Peas in a Podcast. Um, joined here today by Rosie Cassidy, one of the sort of co-founders and owners of Newman Rose. Uh, Rosie, thank you very much for taking the time out. I know you're very busy, very busy start to the uh, year. So can you just for our listeners introduce yourself and how you yourself got involved in, in property and development within the West Midlands, please? Yeah, so uh, I'm Rosie Cassidy and thanks for having me on today. Um, so my background is actually in... Um, my family business for the most part, which is Cassidy Group, who are um, large national developers based in Coventry. Um, so I've been within property and property development since I was born, pretty much. It's um, my dad's business. Um, so I've worked with him for, for several years since leaving school. Um, and I've worked for myself in sort of land agency roles as well. Um, but yeah, now as of sort of back end of last year, 2020, um, started my own development business, Newman Rose, with my business partner, uh, Tyler Newman, um, hence where the imaginative name comes from. Um, yeah. And yeah, so now going it alone. Good stuff, good stuff. So I guess it was a, a quite a big decision and lots of people, especially across, you know, sort of West Midlands, sort of Solid Hall commentary will know uh, the Cassidy Group and, you know, the, sort of the big stamp that they have on, um, mm-hmm. on this sort of area specifically with you know, sort of schemes and what have you. So what way do you want to, I guess, you know, cut the sort of apron strings and sort of go alone and face all those challenges when you probably could have had a more clear path to, to, <laughs> to directorship and, and success? Um, to be honest, it, it was purely, there's two things. Obviously, when you work for a family business, there's the, I guess, the pressures of a family business, which it's just hard to sort of progress. It's my dad's business naturally. But when I've worked for myself for so many years, it's then hard to work for someone else. It's, there's just that stress. Um, but really for the most part, it was just, I wanted, you know, it was time to just do it myself. Um, there's still crossover with Cassidy. I still hop into the office at least once a week and, you know, absolutely no hard feelings in leaving. It wasn't like a, a nasty leave or anything. It was just, it's time for myself to, do it alone prove myself because otherwise I think regardless of what I did at Cassidy's it's always and even for some part even with my own company there will still be people that always say oh well it's only because of a dad it's only because of that and it's just it's a lot just for myself really just to sort of show what I can do and just do it the way I want to do it and the way I see it should be done no, that's uh, that's good to say. I, I've worked for a family company before, sort of third generation, so I know yeah. these sort of pros and cons. You know, working for for the old man, as it were, and everyone's saying yeah. anything success that you have, it's because of sort of all the things that he's done for the years before. Yeah. Even if you've done completely different, it's uh, yeah, it's hard to break those shackles, especially with uh, such a strong name of sort of Cassidy and sort of Patrick in as well. But I guess the benefits are that it's a positive name, it, it's a good name, and any yeah. good that comes from it is great. But now you're sort of moving across. That's um, that's fantastic. So you mentioned your uh, business partner there, Tyler, as well. Yeah. You know, from the outside looking in, two young people with experience uh, within sort of property and doing things. And I guess it's quite a mm-hmm. brave mark now for both of you to go along, uh, to go alone rather. So what are the aims, you know, for the sort of this year as the sort of first proper year, as it were, to uh, start a business and then the next sort of five years, perhaps? Yeah. So the first year, um, the main focus is tying up sort of the next three years pipeline. Um, obviously, uh, 
first quarter focus is probably tying up sites we can actively start on this year to obviously get sort of project management fees, cash flow coming in. Because at the minute, and we'll talk about this later, um, it, the business is solely cash flowed from our education side. Um, so obviously we want to get some sort of internal cash flow going. But the overall focus is just getting a really healthy pipeline across multiple sectors for the next three years um, because we want to scale up pretty rapidly. Uh, we don't want to sort of just do one site a year, then the next site, next year, two sites. We want to be doing like at least 10 sites this year, followed by, okay. you know, even more next year with some, you know, real big ones as well, probably 50 million pound plus GDVs in there. Um, we want to get maybe two or three of them tied up this year as well. Fantastic. Fantastic. And, and you mentioned there, you know, there's a different, asset classes it's not just residential mm-hmm. we had a chat earlier in terms of you know sort of either build to rent or, or build to sell um so covering sort of all bases is there a minimum you'd want to go in on and a sort of maximum to the size you'd like to look at as well um so there's no maximum we're currently um looking in detail at a site in london which gdb is over 300 million so there's no upper limit okay um in terms of lower limit it's sort of catch into so obviously with the education side and the content side of things, it's good to do the smaller sites, which are quite relatable that smaller developers would sort of do. So we need a few of them. Also, they're great to just get going on and cash flow. Um, but really, we don't want to be looking at anything that's got less than a million pound profit in it, just because, you know, okay. regardless of the size of the site, you tend to jump through the same hoops and the same management goes on. So, you know, you could do that for a bigger site versus a smaller site, but the bigger site, there's more in it, basically. Yeah, it's the same process, the yeah. same sort of work to put in. I'd say you mentioned earlier, you know, working long weekends and working long hours. You want to make sure at the end of it, it's uh, it's worth it, not just for yeah. a couple of grand where you could do that working for, for somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's basically it. But but yeah, we're, we're pretty flexible, pretty open, and we've got a good system in place to manage um, a lot of sites at once, basically. So, um, yeah, we're pretty open to all types of sites, really. Perfect. And, and with regards to your, your business partner, so the Tyler, how do you split your sort of time? You, know, you both don't want to be doing the same thing. Is it you have different sort of skill sets and experience? How is that sort of split between the two of you? Yeah. So um, what Tyler brings to so Tyler isn't from a development background, but he is from a property background. Um, he, he has a lot of experience in sort of investment property and flipping investment property, as well as many years in a state agency, partic- particularly at the upper end of the market. Um, so, okay. but what he's very good at is sort of, um, I guess like efficiencies and I think that the development industry is one of the least efficient industries out there in terms of how people manage their time and people work in their business a lot rather than on their business whereas that's something Tyler is just phenomenal at which is like looking at ways we can systemize anything so for example we just sent out 1500 letters but we use virtual assistants for most of the work um, and mail merge the rest of it and the only thing that we did ourselves was actually put the letters together which we won't do again that'll be outsourced again next time because it's just inefficient yeah. so that's what he's amazing at is looking at the process and seeing how can this be systemized improved and bettered so that obviously we can scale up easier but also um he does he does all the comparables work pretty much obviously from his estate agency background and then as and when um it comes to the appraisals and things like that that's obviously sort of my forte and obviously finding the sites originally tends to tends to be a lot of me um and then you know Tyler's got stuff to learn in that sense but he'll pick he'll pick it up like that so moving forward it will be um he'll get more involved in sort of the construction element as well but um yeah for the most part he does a lot of the front end stuff I do a lot of the back end stuff he gets quite heavily involved in the finance as well so networking he's based down in London 
um, for the most part. So I was okay. a great network down there. So um, he does a lot of work finding our investors and sort of getting those conversations going. Um, but yeah, really, it's it's there's not too much crossover with what each of us do within the business, if that makes sense. Yeah. So both using your sort of skill sets and experience to sort of go yeah. and then sort of just talk what you need to and sort of you know, confirm what you mm-hmm. are and aren't going to do. And in regards to, I guess, sort of the patches and your work, also you're up in the West Midlands, I think, uh, sort of Leamington, yeah. he's in London. Are you targeting those sort of two areas or are you looking sort of nationally um, as well for anyone that has land or any sort of, you know, wants to sort of get in touch with you? Yeah, so we're, we're pretty much nationally and that's because the way we're appraising our sites and the way we're making offers is on the basis that we put our, a, a satellite team there, basically. So even okay. if it's a site up in Manchester, let's say, which neither Tyler or I, Tyler or I could be there daily, the appraisal allows for basically an employer's agent or a project manager there full time to essentially oversee that whole project for us, even if it's not done on a sort of a, a contractor basis, even if it's on a subcontract basis, there's someone there managing it. So, um, yeah, really, it's national because we've got we've put the systems in place to cater for it, really. Yeah, and I guess it's sort of process works wherever you are. Yeah, yeah, basically, it's the same, yeah. And then then deliver that. Yeah. And then when it comes to, I guess, the sort of construction delivery, you'll just sort of uh, go to tender, sort of subcontract that out and and manage it from an arm's length or sort of get one representative on site? Yeah, so depending on the site, some sites will be done sort of fixed price DMB contracts with the mains contractor, um, which obviously becomes sort of more hands-off um yeah. the sites that are subcontracted we would put a dedicated full-time project manager um and sort of site manager on those sites basically to oversee okay. it for us um and yeah. yeah we'll be managing basically from an arm's length but one thing that we do or will do is there'll be a slightly longer lead-in time to get started on sites but that's because we're gonna where possible bottom out every bit of the spec there'll be basically like a handbook for that site exactly you know what posts and rails are being used what doors are being used so that hopefully yeah. although there's a bit more of a, a lead in having that detailed sort of design guide I guess for the project with all the detailed plans you know all the engineers workings on it um, you know hopefully there's less questions along the way they know exactly what's expected so then it's easier to follow as well as that and strict sign-off procedures so people can't you know, closed cavity walls before inspections and things like that. Um, yeah. As long as that's done, we're confident we can achieve the quality even from an arm's length. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, with that, you know, the full process, so from the time that you've done a thousand you know, sort of site appraisals, and mm-hmm. I know you're ideally trying to get things without planning because that's where you, yeah. know, you can make your sort of biggest percentages all the way through to, you know, having the sort of keys handed over to either a sale property or property that you're keeping mm-hmm. and uh, sort of letting. Where do you think the biggest risks then that sort of process are for anybody that wants to get involved in developing themselves? I think for me, one of the biggest risks is making the wrong offer day one because, okay, yeah. you know, yes, on the GDV, you could add a little bit of value here and there or on the build cost, you could cut a little bit of cost here and there. The reality is if you offer wrong day one, you're always trying to claw back and yeah. that's not a nice position to be in because that you can appraise until you're blue in the face, but there could always be things you can't account for that could yeah. come out of the woodwork uh, that you didn't necessarily expect. So, you know, you don't want to be on the back foot before you start. So for me, the biggest risk is just making the wrong offer. So then, yeah, you're constantly trying to claw money back because you paid too much for the land, which is why, like you mentioned, those off-market sites are great because uh, you do tend to have, you know, your planning game. So there's money in the land, which just gives a bit more margin, which helps with that. And it helps with helps with a lot of things, helps with funding. Um, but, you know, sites with planning obviously have their pros as well. But 
yeah, typically off-market sites help with that. Yeah, and I think on one of your uh, you know YouTube videos that lots of people will be watching, you sort of mentioned you know, going in there to a site that doesn't have any planning, you're in a much stronger position to negotiate if you're sort of yeah. going to them and you've sort of done your appraisals and you know exactly what the sort of end game is for yourself, mm-hmm. what you could sell it for, what sort of profit margin would be and work backwards. Essentially, so you're sort of bidding for a piece of land yeah. and then trying to make it work once you've sort of got it and, and cutting costs with the, the sort of uh, the construction or, or the mm-hmm. unit size. Is that, is that I guess, the sort of the, where the, the money's made is right at the, the early stages? Yeah, so a lot of money can be made in the land because obviously, you know, if you're approaching a landowner who's got planning, they've already gone through the risk of planning. They've gone through the cost of planning themselves. So they should get the reward for doing so, which means basically, for the most part, you're paying open market value and... You might be able to add value if you look at that planning permission and think, actually, you could get another unit or those unit sizes aren't optimal or actually just, you know, changing the floor plan slightly. You could increase the GDV. But typically there's not loads of on a smaller site, particularly, particularly there's not loads of sort of um, added value that can be created with on sites with planning. Whereas if you're taking it through planning, you're doing that at your risk, at your cost. Yeah. It's your time. It's your energy. So you should get an element of that uplift. Obviously, typically we're doing it on an option agreement. So, you know, you're offering more than what the land is worth as it stands to the landowner. So they're getting, um, I guess, an uplift for waiting the year for you to get planning. But you should also be getting yeah. some reward for obviously your risk. And it's like I say, it's time and money that you're putting at risk. So, yeah, normally those margins are easily. And it's an easier negotiation because it's a very understandable position to be in that, well, why, why should I do all this risk for no reward? And normally a landowner's like, yeah, yeah I get that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and uh, you know, for the, so the years I've been involved in sort of property and development, people always say that's, that's the hardest part is sort of getting that, that planning permission, you know, the amount mm-hmm. of times that planning's either refused for sort of various reasons. And I know this has changed the sort of laws recently, but I've got mates that are planners as well. And we have, you know, sort of quite heated sort of debates about what is wrong or what is right with the yeah. you know, sort of planning system and why can so many sort of sites go through and at the final point get turned down yeah. for sort of planning. And it almost sometimes doesn't seem to be a, a black and white definitive answer. It's mm-hmm. almost like, which depends where the wind blows that day as to whether you, you get it or not. So I guess that's oh, where the skill comes in as to whether it happens or not. Yeah, I mean, part of, I mean, there is a lot of skill to it, but... 100% unfortunately with planning in the UK um, first of all committees planning committees you don't have to be qualified as such yeah. to sit on a planning committee so it could be I know planning committees where there's like 80 odd year olds who may have finished school at 16 are <laughs> sat on a planning yeah. committee you know and they may have all the best intention in the world but if they're not you know that you should have more qualifications in my opinion to sit on a planning committee um, and unfortunately you do there is still a, an element of subjectivity in planning. You know, a lot of the policies, it's how do you interpret that as to what's acceptable and what isn't? And whilst there's that subjectivity, there's always going to be that hit and miss as to whether or not you get planning because you could get one planning officer that could be absolutely amazing and really get what you're trying to do and support it. Or you could get one planning officer that's just like, no, not having it. Yeah. And unfortunately, until there's some consistency, there's, planning is always going to be a risk there obviously is ways you can de-risk it by being more familiar with with the planning system and understanding what's more likely to get done and and taking the right planning approach but it is still you know there is still an element of I guess look on you know yeah. what type of officer you get what type of committee you get um 
but yeah unfortunately planning such an important part of the development process is still for the most part ran by people who don't necessarily have the right qualifications and it's what they interpret planning law as not what it should be interpreted as sometimes yeah and I think it's, as you say, you know, people can sort of get on those sort of planning committees with local brewers or councils, like any real qualification. And it's always a case of, you know, yeah, I completely agree. We need new homes built. There's a massive housing mm-hmm. shortage, but not in my backyard sort of mentality. Yeah. It's people want buildings, but not builders. So it's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, we need X thousand homes in this borough by the end of, you know, next year, the year after. So go to that side of the borough and build them, but, but don't come near, you know, yeah, don't my come, side don't of come it. near us. That's yeah. where, yeah, depending on where they live could be the sort of defecting factor as oh. to whether you get that or don't get that. 100%. I mean, we've sat in planning committees as Cassidy's and said to the, you know, planning committee, or well, let me guess, you live in this area? And they're like, yeah. yeah, yeah, we do. It's like, well, yeah, says it all really. Yeah. You're happy for it to be, like yeah. you say, in someone else's back garden, but God forbid it's in your back yeah. garden. And, and that's part of the problem. And I get it, like, you know, you don't want to live near a construction site or you think it could devalue your property. But normally these same people are the same people whose kids can't afford to buy until they're 32 because the yeah. housing crisis. And it's as much as everyone would love to build on a simple brownfield site that's going to make the whole area better and it's going to, everyone's going to agree with it. That isn't the case. There's always someone that objects to planning. And, you know, as planning de- property developers, we get that. It's just... It is what it is. Yeah, it's sometimes you know, nice either to you want houses them. or you don't. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes nice to remind them the house that they live in at one point had to go through these sort of same regulations. Yeah. They bought that house five years ago, 10 years ago, yeah. 20 years ago. And they may have sort of grown up in a small village where their kids went to the school and they want, yes, they say they want their sort of children who are now 30 on to live in the same sort of village and area. Yeah. But there's no homes for them and they can't understand why their value is going up. It's also the sort of chicken and egg. Well, you need the homes. The yeah. values come down because it's, um, you know, supply and demand. But um, yeah, sometimes easier said than uh, said than done there with them um, with the planning. I guess that's sort of, I guess you know one of the sort of tougher things at the moment. And one of the ways that you're helping people uh, yourself is as I touched it briefly earlier is through your um, Instagram and through your sort of YouTube. So mm-hmm. I think social media now you know, we're doing a podcast which years ago would never a thing, and now everyone seems yeah. to, to have one. So how do you find that? Um, or what's your sort of market in terms of people that want to get involved? in property development, whether it's just buying, you know, a two bed house and putting a new kitchen and bathroom all the way through to raising a, a million pounds and different sort of challenges I think you're, you're up to at the moment. Yeah. How is that helping you with the social media? Yeah, so... Helping um, them rather. <clears throat> yeah, like obviously I, I touched on it before, we've got myself and Tyler, uh, our business partners in our education space as well. So Property Development Mastery is the sort of education programme that um, we launched last year. Uh, over a hundred students on it now and some like, just incredible success stories coming from it which is fantastic um but part of that is obviously the i guess the marketing and the um yeah the social media behind it so i've got uh, instagram now which is the following on that's growing quite a lot and um obviously on youtube and moving forward the youtube's going to become a really big platform for us because now that i'm running my own business basically what i've said is we're going to be completely open book like in a way that no one's ever seen from the development industry like you mentioned we're just doing a challenge at the minute and basically we're documenting the entire thing i've got we've got videographers with us 24 7 pretty much um and at the end of that video i'm going to sit and show people the appraisal like the exact appraisal exact numbers and you know as and when it gets built i'll show you bank statements like that's how open book and transparent we're going to be and i think particularly for me being a young woman in development i think 
it almost I don't people expect it to be an old man they expect my dad basically yeah from a property yeah, developer yeah, yeah, so, so when they yeah. see me I think um as well as obviously Tyler being young as well people get really gravitate towards it because all of a sudden it's a bit more relatable like don't be wrong I know that I came from a privileged background and that I'm here partly because obviously of of having access to my dad um but you know the fact that I'm just gonna be so open and transparent I think people really really gravitate towards because it, it just it's different to what people normally see from development yeah I think that that's completely correct I think you know <clears throat> it's a very brave uh stance I don't know many people or any that would show you know show their work and go as it mm-hmm. were and you know in a sort of six and 12 and 18 months or however long it is you're going to go back and show people you know whatever they want to do and yeah. it makes it very real because you know you may have had a bit of a maybe a sort of foot up and a head start but when it comes down to it any investors any land agents anyone that owns the land any farmers that have piece of land they don't care who your, your dad was or who no. Tyler's or the family was it comes down to whether that specific deal makes sense does that specific deal yeah. make money and is the sort of funding in place you know everyone can have a sort of hand up to a point but then you say you've got to do it on your own and those numbers don't lie the bank yeah. doesn't care who your who your dad is and all the rest of it so I think that's yeah, very commendable for, for both of you to, to be sort of so brave I think in this world that uh, we're in now where you know diversity is sort of at the forefront of what people are sort of talking about and most people that I work with and, and probably yourself are 40 50 60 yeah. old <laughs> white men that have the same you know same mates they've all been to the same schools and yeah have all the sort of same uh, contacts and, and that's very easy for them to sort of do deals and, and work that way so now with all those people that are on either sort of Instagram or, or YouTube and, and really sort of breaking that mold to show that with zero, almost zero of your own investment, you can go out with you are smart enough to, to make, you know, profitable, profitable sites. And, and, and in terms, I guess, then sort of looking forward, how confident are you, whether it's with the vaccine or whether it's with Brexit or anything else that's going on, how confident are you in the sort of, you know, the property and the sort of real estate and specifically residential market over the next, next few years? Is it definitely worth people looking to invest in it or also work within that arena yeah I think there's never you know regardless of what's going on in the world property always makes money at the end of the day um you might have to be a bit smarter with your deal structures you might have to be a bit more critical with your appraisals you might have to be a little bit tighter with your offers to make it work in a tougher market but you know years on years property makes people most the most people the richest people if that makes sense like yes there's tech startups and all those things but for something that's more achievable for someone that isn't an Einstein type person you know property is the thing that through and through consistently makes money and you know you like I say you might just have to be a bit smarter with it in tough times you know if we're coming to a recession but having said that recession breeds opportunity as well so yeah I'm I'm always 100% confident that property is a strong market. It's just different markets create different opportunities. Yeah, I think that that's exactly it. Now, if you are smart enough that you know whether it's you, you know where you're building, whether it's student, whether it's residential, whether it's commercial, whether it's built to rent, if you know what that area specifically wants, and there will be phases like tech at the moment, of course, you know, it's one of the sort of biggest, quickest moving um, yeah. arenas. But I think at some point that will sort of fizzle out whether it's in five, 10, 20 years, whereas property, people have always lived in houses and people will always live in homes. And that's one thing that people will always need. Mm-hmm. Tech can sort of come and go and it can change the way it sort of works. And you might be quite lucky to hit the right spot at the right time. You know, if someone had 
stocks into the Zoom or, or Teams a, yeah. a year or so ago. You'd be, you'd be yeah. smiling you'd be happy now. now. Again, that will sort of phase out, that will level out, whereas yeah. property consistently will go up, may have mm-hmm. a dip for a year or six months, but you know, anyone that owns a home for 20 years will make money yeah. on that property. It's sort of quite simple um, as well. So for, for anybody that wants to you know, sort of follow your uh, personal journey, that wants to get in touch with you and, and learn from sort of uh, mm. Tyler and you, wh- where can they sort of find you? What's the sort of handles to, to get you on? Yeah, so Instagram is rosie.cassidy, which is R-O-S-E-Y. I've got the awkward spelling. Um, and then um, <laughs> YouTube's just Rosie Cassidy and um, you'll find there we're, like I say, we're just because of obviously the transition from Cassidy's to Newman Rose, there's been, I guess, a little bit of a pause on things. But over the next but this year, there's just going to be it's going to you'll see something completely different from what you've seen from me in the past. And also from what you've seen, like I say, from development as a whole. Perfect. Good. So for anyone that say is interested in, in learning more, I know Rosie does do uh, sort of Q and A's on the, uh, the Instagram stories. I've been sort of following mm-hmm. in a few of my mates. I think we've been throwing <laughs> some questions in there as well, just to see what's um, what's it. But thank Rosie. Thank you very much for for your time today. It was yeah, lovely no to talk to you, and hopefully we'll uh, we'll speak soon. Yes. Yeah,